We gather here to remember this is our home, but not just ours. This land we live on, this water we drink, this air we breathe, these old mountains that hold us steady to our ground, these forests that give us their healing green, these flowers that give us their beauty and fragrance, these fields that give us our daily bread, these stars that show us our place. The wilderness and the tame backyards, all of it our home. We remember the ancestors who have lived on this land and who have shaped it. Ancestral Pueblo populations, including peoples that spoke the Tewa, Toa, and Keras languages. The mountaineers, the farmers, the hunters, the immigrants, the artists, the families, the explorers, the engineers, and builders, and scientists, the teachers, the workers, and the leaders. We inherit their choices. We honor the animals and creatures that have made their home in this land, the ones here now, the ones that used to be here. We envision the future generations who will live on this land and let their voices fill our hearts. We gather here to remember this is our home, but not just ours. In 2014, almost a decade ago now, I cannot hardly believe it, the Obama administration was working to pass their new uh, clean air, clean coal resolutions to reduce the amount of carbon emissions over a certain period of time. And the EPA held many hearings around the country that in places where communities would be affected by this ruling. One of those places was in coal country of Alabama. And on the day of the EPA's hearing there in 2014, Thousands came out to protest the impending new rules. Those thousands included coal executives and other energy executives, as well as about 5,000 Alabaman miners. And oddly enough, the elected members of Alabama's Public Service Commission, who helped to lead the group in prayer that morning, to pray that God would lead them to the right decision, to not change the rules. Among those was a commissioner named Chip Beaker, who prayed at the time and told the crowd that all coal comes from God, and there should be no federal interference in it then. Who has the right to take what God has given a state, he prayed. Later on, he commented, no matter what you call it, a myth is still a myth, and this so-called climate change crisis is about as real as unicorns and little green men from Mars. Unsurprisingly, Chip Beaker and many other members of the Public Services Commission were devout Southern Baptists, and they were taking their lead from what the Southern Baptist Convention had to say about environmentalism in general. 
and the Southern Baptist Convention took their lead from a conservative Presbyterian scholar named Cal Beisner, who was the leading argument, argumenter and, and theorist of Christian environmentalism or, or biblical stewardship of the land. And his basic theory went like this. Humility applied to environmental stewardship, he says, should lead us, in light of the vast complexity of human society and the Earth's ecosystems, to hesitate considerably at the notion that we know enough about them. In other words, we can't be certain, so we shouldn't do anything. He went on to say, especially around that time, as the CO2 emissions rules were going through, that regulating carbon dioxide would deprive people of energy and wealth. And wealth. That CO2 is a boon to humanity and all of life on Earth, after all. And that any sound ecological stewardship plan, especially if it is going to be biblical, must put our economic freedom first, economic freedom. We've got a right to take everything out of the ground that God gave us so we can be wealthy, and that has to come first. It's what is known as a dominionist ecology. It takes its name from this verse in the first chapter of Genesis, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. That word dominion is the great tripping point in America's divide over environmental issues. The Hebrew word in the Jewish scriptures is rada, and it is translated as dominion in almost every English translation of the Bible. And it's a root word for the idea of dominance that we use today. So it's very easy to get to a point of saying when God tells us to have dominion over the earth, he wants us to dominate it, to exert our force and authority over it in such a way that it is ours. But when we look at the way that rada is used, that word for dominion is used throughout the rest of the Hebrew Bible, we find that that force that authority isn't nearly quite so rapacious, quite so dominant. Throughout the rest of the scriptures, and it's used very seldomly, the word relates to God imaging or representing God on earth, of demonstrating the characteristics of God in creation. So in Genesis, when he talks about dominion, we're talking more about human beings set as regents on the planet and not its masters. You guys, watch my stuff. I'm going to be absent for a little bit, okay? Elsewhere, that word is used to describe authority that is used for the sake of others. verse in Ezekiel points out that shepherds use their authority 
for the sake of their sheep, not for their own sake. So it is something of a altruistic caretaker role rather than master or lord or ultimate end user. Throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, other words are used to further explicate what God intends his people to have as a relationship with the land. Along with that dominion, shamar is used to keep, to keep the land, to tend to it, to preserve it. And abad, to till the earth, to work the land, to serve it. Leonardo Boff is a former Franciscan priest and one of the founders of the school of thought known as liberation theology. In general, a theology that leads people to act as, what did I write here? <laughs> to act as and with the poor, to free the poor from conditions of poverty, to put the wisdom and experience of the poor in their communities to work to enact change. Boff says the empowerment of the poor to end poverty and achieve the freedom to live a good life. That is the heart of a liberation theology. Unfortunately for Boff, he also had strong critiques of the leadership of the church that he served, and they used that and his theological works that rang a little bit too much of Marxism to, to silence him. He was officially silenced by the church in 1985. And at that point, since he couldn't talk about or write about liberation theology anymore, he turned his sights towards the study of ecology. And in that study, what he soon came to realize is the logic supporting the exploitation of workers that he had struggled so much with with the poor and liberation theology, that was the exact same logic that supported the exploitation of the earth. And so he began to see, along with others, life not only existing on earth, but also earth itself as a living organism in its whole. And that the poor who suffer economic exploitation will be those who suffer the most because of the exploitation of the earth. In 1992, he became one of the authors of the Earth Charter, which sought to create an ecology that extended beyond the purely environmental into something more integral, something that included not only the environment, but society as a whole, human consciousness, education methods, the daily life of people, and spirituality. Everything has to do with everything else, he said. And he describes the Earth Charter as creating a new paradigm of interdependency amongst all creatures. This is probably sounding just a tad familiar 
at the moment. The interdependent web, the seventh principle of ours, something we hold near and dear to our hearts. And while I sometimes get annoyed with those who use it just to talk about ecology, I appreciate Boss' work on the Earth Charter and that integrated ecology. He talks about our connections to each other, to the Earth, to the past, to the future, to the ways that we gather and learn. It's a reminder to me that we are not alone in our desire to see the web in its fullness, to understand it and to care for it. It is not just a Unitarian Universalist thing as isolated as we might feel religiously sometimes. We have the Earth-centered traditions right here in our country and around the world that view this the same way. We have the more progressive ecological outlooks of the more progressive mainline denominations here in this nation. And we even have the Catholic Church viewing that interdependent web. A few years ago, Pope Francis wrote an exic... Words are hard to... <laughs> wrote an encyclical titled Laudate Si that was all about humans' relationship to the environment and to the earth. And in it, he wrote about the relatedness of all with all with a special focus on the poor and the vulnerable in society because of the intrinsic value of every being. And he condemns a system that produces what Leonardo Boff would call the cry of the poor and the cry of the earth. Pope Francis is practically Unitarian at that point, I think. And even, even the evangelical world, which has promulgated this dominionist environmentalism. There are members of the, the evangelical community who are taking a more ecological, broad view or splitting off into independent groups to talk about the folly of the dominionist view and the need for care for the earth, a call to tend the earth for the earth's sake, creation care. And I bring this all up today just to be able to say that the interdependent web overall is winning the battle of ideas. We are not alone in valuing it. The question is, will it inspire enough people in time? There is much work to be done there are people who are far smarter than me who have good answers for that. But on this Earth Day today, I come with a sense of hopefulness that those who use environmentalism as a political football these days in this country, hopefulness that they are outnumbered. The people who see care of the planet as something deeply principled even perhaps a matter of faith, will prevail in the long run. Now, back in November, our hope was that this Sunday, this Earth Day Sunday, would be the day that we were 
dedicating our solar panel array, and we would time it all beautifully with the weekend. Uh, unfortunately, weather and bureaucracy are sinister forms of inertia, and so we're not quite there yet, but the day is coming soon where we will be able to celebrate that. And maybe someday soon after that, we'll be able to celebrate being able to free ourselves from natural gas as well. And while we can't celebrate our specifics today, I think it is still important that we celebrate and we recommit ourselves to our own values, to our own deep faith calling, not just to our seventh principle, but to everything around us. And renew a focus that allows us to hear and to see and to act upon all that is that lifts up the relatedness of all in all. And so I close today with Richard S. Gilbert's Beatitudes for Earth Sunday. Blessed are the heavens, for they declare the power of creation. Blessed is the earth, our beloved home, for she is a planet of plenitude. Blessed are the waters thereon, for they gave rise to living things. Blessed is the land, for it is the source of life abundant. Blessed is the air we breathe, for it fires us to life and love. Blessed are the beasts of the field, for they are glorious to behold. Blessed are the birds of the air, for they carve a graceful ark in the sky. Blessed are the mountains and the seas and the valleys, for their variety makes rich our habitat. Blessed are the fields of grain, the orchards of fruit, for they give sustenance, asking nothing in return. Blessed are the dwellers on earth, for they cherish the privilege of living upon it. Blessed are they who protect the earth and all her creatures, from the plants of the field to the trees of the forest, for their reward shall be harmony with the web of existence. Rejoice and be glad, for the earth and her people are one. May it be so.